Well, today we're back in Romans. We've been going through Romans here for quite a while. We've jumped out to a couple different series, and we're back in Romans chapter 4. And what I want to do here is I want to give just kind of a brief recap of where we've been, and because I want us to start to see there's repetition in the Bible, and it's for good reason. We're going to talk about that in a second. But so what I want to do um, before we read our passage and stand and do all the things we normally do, I want to just kind of highlight a little bit of where we've been in Romans, really just in chapter 3 up to chapter 4, and then we're going to get into our passage because I want us to see that Paul is continuing what he's been saying this entire time, okay? So I'm just going to start right in on it here, just going to kind of, it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm just going to read some of the verses that lead up to where we are, and then we're going to get into our passage today. In Romans 3, we're told that none is righteous, no, not one, no one does good, not even one. For by the works of all, no human being will be justified. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus for all who believe. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift, the redemption that's in Christ Jesus to be received by faith. God will be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What becomes of our boastings, it's excluded. Why? Because Christ did everything. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Right? For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Over and over and over and over and over again, Paul wants us to be sure that you are saved by faith and not by works. That's a fascinating thing, but the reality of it is, is Paul's not going to stop. He's going to continue this over and over again. And I, and I want us to realize that there's repetition for good reason. I want us to think about the disciples for a moment. The disciples always amaze me that Jesus suffers and dies on the cross, and the disciples are completely lost, completely clueless, right? Like, what just happened? I don't understand what's going on. To such a degree that one would wonder, why didn't God tell them? Why didn't Jesus tell them that he was going to die? And then you read the Bible and you realize he told them multiple times. He told them like specifically that the Son of Man is going to suffer and die and on the third day rise again. And then it happens and they're completely clueless, right? And I've noticed this recently as I've started to read the Bible slightly different. I was challenged by uh, John MacArthur. I like listening to him. I love listening to old pastors who've done it for, you know, he's done it for over 60 years, been preaching, and just uh, try to gain some wisdom from someone like that. And he said that he studies the Bible, obviously, because he preaches and all that, but he also reads the Bible every day, not to gain understanding, but because it's alive and active, and he wants that power source in his life. And I never heard it that way, so I'm like, you know, that's interesting. I'm the type that likes to dig in deep and to really get after it. But I've been just reading to read. And I, I've been going through the book of John, me and my wife have been going through the book of Luke at night, and just reading to read. And what I've noticed more than anything is how repetitive it actually is. And that should tell us something about us, and it should tell us something about God. For one, you and I forget often, but God loves us enough to make sure the things that need to be known are known. And it also reminds us that the devil is the one who lies constantly as well. And so as the devil lies on repeat, God is also telling us the truth on repeat. On repeat. And so all throughout the book of Romans, we've read, we went through Galatians, went through Philippians, all of that is this, this topic of you're saved by faith in Christ, not of works. And again, I want us to realize that as we continue that today, it's for good reason. Let's not, let's not discount this. Again, saved by faith is unique to Christianity. Every other religion says you have to earn your way to heaven. Christianity says, no, 
The only way to earn it is in through what Christ did for you on the cross. So we need to be reminded of that. So now I want to get to the passage here. And again, Paul is now going to look at what Abraham, you know, the covenant was made through Abraham. He's going to go back to Abraham and see, is it consistent from the very beginning? So if you would, if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. You'll notice I got a bottle of water up here too. I got a sinus infection this week, so I don't know what may or may not happen. I'm in that part of it where I might cough and it get a little gross, okay? So just <laughs> bear with me here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, God's word says this. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your care for us and giving us your word. And God, I pray right now as we dive into it that you would speak to us through your word. I want to give you all the praise in advance, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you can guess, the word circumcision is going to be said a lot today. And I'll be honest, it's a word that as you say it more and more, you start, it's one of those, you're like, I don't even know if I'm saying it right anymore. And as I was typing it, I, I couldn't type it right, but it's, it's all throughout this passage. And I, and I think sometimes when we look at this, we kind of like, ah, that does, that's the old stuff, doesn't apply to us. But actually, there's something very significant going on here, and so we're going to dive into it. So the first thing that we're going to see here is we've got to ask, ask the question, what blessing? In verse 9, Paul says, is this blessing then? That word then means then therefore, right? Which points us back to what was previously said in verses 7 and 8 as he quotes Psalms 32, which David says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now remember, Paul tells us what David was getting at in verse 6 as well. It says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He says, the one whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, God doesn't count his sin. Again, this is apart from works because our works are the lawless deeds and the sin. We're not righteous. It's proof in that. We have lawless deeds. We have sin. We're not righteous. Yet God counts us righteous. He, he counts you righteous apart from the works in faith. You know, it's interesting. Everyone wants to talk about how you're to live your life. And we are called to a holy life. We are called to live according to God's standard. Yet we forget that we start as sinners. That's the issue. There is no work you can do to change the fact that you started as a sinner. Christ is the one who saves you. And because he saves you, your life now should look different because you're saved, not to be saved. See, this is the blessing That in spite of your lawless deeds, in spite of your sin, God through faith in Christ forgives you. He covers you. He doesn't count your sin against you. That's an incredible blessing. And we're going to come back to that at the very end. But now let's move on. In light of that, Paul's going to go back to Abraham and he's going to defend his stance that we are saved through faith and not of works. It's very important to know at the same time that he's not presenting a new idea. Okay, think about this. Did, Did Christ bring a new message when he came? A lot of times we think that there's a divide between the Old Testament and New Testament and everything radically changed with Christ. Now Christ was the fulfillment of everything and, and 
in a lot of senses, a lot changed with Christ. But the message was consistent. What Christ did is he came and he pointed to the truth and cut through the lies that people had interpreted the truth as. There's nothing new with God. It's all the same. And you're going to see why that's so important in a moment. So as we go back to the passage, what we see here is we see a covenant was made. There's a reason that he wants to go back to Abraham. In verse 9 it says, In this blessing, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Now again, we're going to talk about circumcision. And again, a lot of times people, what is the big deal with this? Why, are, why is there such a hang-up? Well, it's a huge deal to the covenant. It's a huge deal to the Jews. It's a huge deal tied to the promise. Abraham stated as the father of our faith. And in verse 11, we read that he's the father of all who believe. And the blessing that Abraham received, which is what his offspring will receive, is justification, being declared righteous. That means salvation. That's a huge deal. And circumcision is a part of that covenant. Okay, In Genesis 17, we're told that God said he's going to make an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his offspring. Look at verse 10 of Genesis 17, where it all started. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, he who is eight days old. This is why Paul, as a Pharisee in Philippians 3, said that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is part of the covenant that God made. It's a huge deal. It's a very huge deal. And this is why some people could say, how can you claim to be a part of this promise if you're not actually a part of the covenant, if you're not doing the things that the covenant said? Remember the Jerusalem council, where they specifically tell, these Judaizers tell Paul, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They've linked these together. Abraham is the father of our faith. The covenant was made through circumcision. How could you not do that and expect to be a part of the family? It's a very valid question. And they're like, Paul, you're absolutely crazy, right? But he says, well, we say faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, it's also interesting that most of the persecution that Paul endured was because he was proclaiming that salvation belonged to the Gentiles as well. That was absolutely crazy to them. They're not a part of the covenant. In Acts 18, 13, it says they, they charge Paul and they, they beat him, and then they say this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law of God. See, they saw it very different than what Paul saw it as. And Paul wants to defend his stance, and he also, we're going to see that he's not changing anything. When Paul talks about this open to the Gentiles, that it happens by faith, it is a valid question, is, is he right? And so he's going to go all the way back to the beginning. And I want us to just think about this as well when people try to proclaim something new. There is nothing new under the sun. God is the same past, present, and future. When someone comes and tries to twist or change what he says, we have a problem with that. And that's what they're accusing Paul of doing, yet he's going to go back and say, no, actually, you've misunderstood the truth that you've always had. In Romans 4.10, Paul asked the, the question then, okay, how then was it counted to him? How was Abraham counted righteousness? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. See, they don't have to take Paul's word for it. They already had this truth. And again, this is very important. Paul's not saying something new. Christ didn't come and say something new. They're coming and revealing the truth that's always been there, but yet people had misinterpreted the truth. So we go back to Genesis 15. Is, is what Paul's saying actually true? It is. 
God tells Abraham, as numerous as stars are in the sky, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. And we don't know how old Abraham was here, but this was before he had any children. Then we're told that Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So sometime before Abraham was 86 years old, it was counted to him as righteousness because he believed. So now what about the covenant with circumcision? When did that take place? Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may, you may, and may multiply you greatly. Then in the next verses, he lays out the stipulations of the covenant, and in that is circumcision of every male. And then in verse 24, we're told that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So let's do the math. Abraham circumcised at 99. Ishmael born at 86, and sometime before that was when Abraham was actually counted righteous. So at least 14 years before he was circumcised, he was declared righteous, just as Paul said. Paul goes on and he tells us, so this is how we should view circumcision in verse 11. He said he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This is very obvious, right? He couldn't have become righteous when he was circumcised because he was counted righteous 14 years prior to that. Yet they had then interpreted this as, no, you have to be circumcised in order to be righteous. But that's not consistent with the one who actually started it with Abraham. Yeah, I find it fascinating. It's not, it's not far from the truth. That's why it's so deceptive. And I think we can give a little grace. It seems significant, right? Abraham is the father of our faith. He was righteous. He got circumcised, and all of his offspring get circumcised. Therefore, circumcision makes you righteous, right? No. It's a sign of the righteousness you had. And what we're told all throughout Scripture is that righteousness is actually of the heart, Paul says this in Romans chapter 2 that we saw a couple months ago. He said, For no one is a Jew who merely is one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. But again, this is critical. Paul's not saying something new. He's reminding them of the truth that they already had. God tells uh, the people through Moses in Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. He says through Jeremiah, circumcise yourself to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your heart. And Paul says in Galatians 5, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And again in chapter 6 of Galatians, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. And Paul's echoing what God had already said this whole time. In Philippians 3, he said, Beware of false circumcision, for we are true circumcision, made without hands, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This isn't something you do, right? This is something that God has promised to do. And we know that by going again back to what he'd already said in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Paul confirms that faith in Christ is the fulfillment of the promise that God promised to circumcise our heart in Colossians 2.11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by, circum by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision was a part of the covenant, but it didn't make you righteous. It set you apart as a people who were declared righteous when they had faith in the Lord. 
I love the fact that Paul just keeps pointing back to what they already knew. They're accusing him of lying. And he goes all the way back and says, actually, you've forgotten what was already said. Cool side note about Abraham. Abraham said to be the father of our faith. And he didn't rejoice that he was going to have many sons. He rejoiced in knowing a Messiah was going to come. Jesus tells us in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and it was glad. Abraham actually had faith in the Messiah that he was able to see. He also met Melchizedek. I don't know if you're familiar with Melchizedek. I encourage you to read Genesis 14 and Hebrews 7 and then come talk to me because that's a really cool passage where Abraham gets to meet Melchizedek. So what we see is that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The third thing we see is the purpose of that in verse 11. Paul says the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This was so he could be the father of all who believe. This goes all the way back again to what God told us all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 3, God says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Paul lets us in on what that was. In Galatians 3.8, he says, In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Guys, this was the plan from the very beginning. There's nothing new. Nothing's changed. Salvation has always been for all people through Christ. Yet, God had chosen a specific people to send that message and to bring the Messiah so that way they can have faith and be saved. Paul does acknowledge that this is a mystery, right? This was something that wasn't revealed at that time. Not that it's not unknowable, just it hadn't been revealed. In Ephesians 3.6, he says, The mystery that has been revealed through the Spirit is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, it's not that it's unknowable, but it takes revelation from God through the Spirit to fully get that. But it's so important for us, again, to realize this is the plan from the very beginning, that God decided to save those through faith, in Christ, but he chose a specific group, a specific people to bring the law of God, to bring the word of God, to bring the Messiah. Yet they had mistaken that special choice of being the ones that God was going to do something through as if that made them righteous. And they'd missed it. Now, it doesn't mean that circumcision serves no purpose. We read a month ago in Romans chapter 3, Paul raises the question, then he knows what the Jews are thinking. And in verses 1 and 2, he says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what, val- what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Again, they were specifically chosen by God, which is an incredible advantage. They received the law of God. They received the prophets. They received everything, the revelation of God. And they also, through their bloodline, received the Messiah that was going to save the world. But again, they misinterpreted that as if they were the ones that were already okay. And they didn't realize that they needed what God was offering as well. I also feel the need here, since we've been talking about circumcision a ton, is to maybe help someone who's confused on what we're to do with it today. And the only reason I'm going to mention this is because it's mentioned in the Bible. So it's an issue, and Paul, Paul gives us clear direction on that. And again, it's consistent with everything that we've heard, because it's God's Word. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, notice what Paul says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. The reality of it is, is God saves you by faith in Christ. And that salvation is not contingent upon you then doing something for yourself. Right? Let's not misunderstand the life we live because we're saved as if we have to live that life to be saved. Christ did it all for us. Paul shows us that this blessing of eternal life has always been given through faith, consistent from the very beginning all the way to the end. And as we close, I want us to focus on the blessing again. I want to go back to the blessing that we have. In the Hebrew, it actually means an eternal blessing. And I think often, especially here in America, we forget the blessing we have in Christ, and it's evident in how we live our life. So if we go back to the blessing, remember this blessing of David that we saw, it said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you know what you have in Christ? I mean, do you? Do you realize what you have? Your sins have been forgiven. This, your, for eternity, this is an eternal blessing, the blessing that your sins have been forgiven eternally. Psalms 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Do you know what you have in Christ? Do you realize the weight of that blessing that he's freely given us? David did when he wrote this blessing. Again, this comes from Psalm 32, which most recognizes the psalm where David is rejoicing in the fact that God forgave him for his sin with Bathsheba. Remember in 2 Samuel, Nathan had confronted David and he confesses his sins, and then Nathan tells him, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. Now in light of that, notice verse 5 of Psalm 32. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I feel like David, there's a sense where he wants to jump up for joy. He recognized who he sinned against. In 2 Samuel, he said, I've sinned against the Lord, the righteous judge who has every right to destroy me, yet he chose to forgive my sins. We shouldn't forget, too, that Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize what we have? Do you realize that the God Almighty, the one who demands perfection, when you and I failed, he sent his son to be perfect for us, and then he counts his life to ours? I, I feel like if we knew that, we would live our life a radically different way. I think so many times we get so down about things that aren't happening the way we want. Have we forgotten what we have in Christ? Because as we saw a couple weeks ago, when you got Paul and Silas getting flogged and beaten and singing praises to God, how can you do that in that circumstance? Because they know what they have. Their sins have been forgiven. I know I'm guilty of it. I think far too often I forget of the blessing that I actually have in Christ. And it's convicting as I look back at this. You know, we, we, live, we almost take it for granted. I think about this with our families, right? They always say that the people you're going to take for granted are the ones that you know are never going to leave. 
And I think as Christians, the same thing happens to us. We know that we have eternal life. We know that Christ saved us. So then we take it for granted and we forget just how wonderful that is. We were talking just last night about the zeal that we have when we first get saved and how excited we are. We're going to tell everyone, why does that die? Why does that get to a point where we don't even care to tell anyone? Because we've taken it for granted. Friends, let us be reminded today of what we have in Christ. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he forgives your sin and he gives you eternal life. I don't know about you, but that, that radically changes how I view things in this life, doesn't it? I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team to come up. And I want you just to bow your head as we kind of reflect on this. And as we think through the blessing that we have that comes through faith, again, reminding you that this is available to you apart from anything that you do because it's contingent upon the perfect work of Christ. And I think there's many here today that have taken it for granted, myself included, many times in the past. We've forgotten what we have. And it's evident because we complain about the things that we don't think, that we don't have and we think we deserve. And so in this moment, I just want to take a moment as we reflect. And if that's you, I pray that you would just take a moment and thank the Lord for what he's given you. Take a moment and thank him for the fact that you are no longer counted, your sins are not counted against you because of what Christ did. And if you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're here today and you, don't, you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, the reality of is your sins are not forgiven. There is a punishment that will come upon that because God is a righteous judge. You saying you're sorry doesn't change the fact that the sin has to be paid for. That's why Jesus is so important. Because Jesus paid for that sin. And when you put your faith and trust in him, he will forgive you. And that is not just a right today. That is an eternal blessing according to the scriptures. So if that's you, call out to him. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't wait. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your careful attention to what you've taught us. And God, I'm thankful that you've repeated the truth over and over and over so we can't get it wrong. God, I'm not ignorant to the fact that apart from the Holy Spirit teaching us things, we can't understand what you have to say. But God, I'm thankful that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, you've given the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach us all things. And God, I pray today that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day you'd open their eyes to the gospel that you have died for their sins, and that you arose on the third day, the first fruits of the resurrection, and that we can have eternal life in you. And God, I pray for everyone that is a believer, that God, we wouldn't take what you've done for us for granted, that you would just keep that a burning focus of us as we long to be with you for eternity, knowing no matter what we face in this life, that's never gonna change. God, we thank you for what you've given us. Be with us now as we respond through song. I want to give you all the praise in advance for what you're going to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.